0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, June 27th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have brought to you over 115 poets from 13 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. You can support us at poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. With us today is Javiera Ringeling, with whom we will be discussing her poem, Back to the Fiddle, and my poem, Song One. Before we do that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of June 28th. On Monday, June 26th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Mark Fishbein will be hosting his monthly Planet Poetry 28. You can find out more information at poetwithguitar.com for slash events. Again, that's poetwithguitar.com forward slash events. From 8 30 p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting its last online open mic. You can find out more information at labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound sign events. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound sign events. From 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their All the Lives We Ever Live, Volume 2, Community Anthology Book Launch. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's lighthousewriters.org slash workshops. From 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground, we play clean open mic via Instagram live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's poets underscore playground underscore. From 6.30 to 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, Changing Hands Bookstore and the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing will be hosting their Right Here, Right Now, An Action of Care with Aurora Massam Javitt you can find out more information at piper.asu.edu forward slash events. Again, that's at piper.asu.edu forward slash events. From 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Andy Sanchez will be hosting his Remembering Stonewall reading, which will feature Charlie Becker, Carol Scott, Eamon Elise, Nick J, Mumbi Solis Flores, Alex Petunia, Alyssa Matuchniak, and Whitney Williams Cobble. You can find out more information at this underscore poet underscore travels on Instagram. Again, that's at this underscore poet underscore travels on Instagram. On Tuesday, June 29th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Lighthouse Writers' Workshop, Will be hosting their Hard Times Denver Writing Workshop. You can find out more information and register at lighthousewriters.org slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Writers' Center will be hosting their curated conversations between Michael Torres and Diana Marie Delgado, you can find out more information at writer.org forward slash reading hyphen events. Again, that's at writer.org forward slash reading hyphen events. From 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Replay Dirty Open Mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. On Wednesday, June 30th, from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, Six Directions and Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting a day-long workshop for Indigenous writers with Erica Worth, Manny Lowley, and Dennis Staples, which will culminate in a reading by the three writers. You can find out more information at lighthousewriters.org/workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 6 p.m. Amsterdam time, Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their Inspiration Factory writing workshop by Janice. You can find out more information at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops.html. Again, that's at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops.html. From 3 to 5 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, the Lighthouse Writers Workshop will be hosting their Hard Times Arvada Writing Workshop. You can find out more information, again, at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's at lighthousewriters.org forward slash workshops. From 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Do More Baltimore will be hosting their World Tour Poetry Club. You can find out more information at DoMoreBaltimore.org for slash workshops, events. Again, that's at DoMoreBaltimore.org forward slash workshops, events. Do is spelled D-E-W. From 6 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting The Healing of Securitus Lesions, Poetry and Environmental Justice with William Alexander Branda Linchima and Ajua Gargi Nzinga Griefs. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's at beyondbaroque.org forward slash calendar. From 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their weekly poetry workshop with Luivette Resto. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops dot html. Again, that's at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops dot html. On Thursday, July 1st, from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Writers' Center will be hosting their Compass Fellowship Showcase with Shatha Amutawa, Eugenia Kim, Ophelia Montalongo, Lorena Ortiz, and Juliet. Tagliere. You can find out more information at writer.org forward slash reading hyphen events. Again, that's at writer.org forward slash reading hyphen events. From 5 30 to 6 30 p.m. Central Daylight Time, True R Speaks will be hosting their Echo Monthly Writing Circle. You can find out more information at truerspeaks.org forward slash events. Again, that's at trueartspeaks.org events. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their Poets for the People of Gaza with Naomi Shihab Nye and Michael Sims. You can find out more information at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's at cityofasylum.org. From 7 to 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, True Art Speaks will be hosting their Reverb open mic hosted by Lt. SUNY. You can find out more information about that at trueartspeaks.org forward slash events. Again, that's at trueartspeaks.org forward slash events. True is spelled T-R-U. From 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting their Tonali Thursdays. You can find out more information at lapoetsociety.org forward slash events. Again, that's at lapoetsociety.org forward slash events. On Friday, June 2nd, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information by messaging the host, Andrina Lee Ann. At survivor dot on Instagram, that's survivor dot on Instagram. Andrina is spelled A N D R E E N A, and leanne is spelled L E E A N N E. From 7 p.m. West Africa time. Glaciano and Worm and Nopal Flower will be hosting their Corona vs. Open Mic via Instagram Live at Glaciano and Worm. That's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. On Saturday, July 3rd from 8 to 9.30 p.m., India Standard Time, our past poet guest Umesh Mohikar will be hosting his weekly Let's Unmesh Life open mic. You can find out more information at Let's Unmesh Life on Instagram. Again, that's at Let's Unmesh Life on Instagram. On Sunday, July 4th from 5 to 7 p.m. British Time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their open mic. You can find out more information at PoetryLGBT on Instagram. Again, that's at PoetryLGBT on Instagram. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Keep the Mic On will be hosting their weekly event. You can find out more information at KeepTheMicOn.com. Again, that's at KeepTheMicOn.com. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Javiera Ringling. Hi, Javieras. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi,
1: I'm Chilean. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you for coming on to the show. Um, so you brought with you the, your poem, Back to the Fiddle. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: I am a Chilean writer based in London. And I was born in Paraguay, though, and I also lived in several places. South America. I lived in Bolivia and Ecuador as a child, and then uh, spent most of my youth in Chile. And then at university, I went to the States for a bit. After university, I settled in the UK, and I've been here working in the environmental sector, but also as a Spanish and literature teacher, and also in in regards to the theme, we are going to talk today as well uh, as a music manager for my husband's music career as well.
0: That makes sense now, because in your packet, this poem came after your other poem about, uh, I forget if it's a trip to Ireland or, or Scotland, and I wasn't sure if it has something to do with that.
1: Well, actually, um, I've got this obsession with in, in Celtic music and in even from, from, from Chile, you know, some of this music exports well to Latin America, and like I went to an English school there. Mm. And I've always really, really loved this kind of music. Mm-hmm. So it comes from that, really.
0: Oh, okay. Going back a little bit into your childhood, I was wondering if you mind telling us when you started writing poetry.
1: I started around 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And my first exposure to poetry was through my very cool sister who would take me to her darkened room where she would chain smoke and yeah. read her uh, poetry out from these random pieces of paper mm-hmm. uh, that she would then do like a napkin or a you know a wrap or receipt and she would read this poetry to me and I would find it so wonderful. Mm. And she would play this brunch music and read existential philosophers sometimes in French which I wouldn't understand. I never thought I I could really write I was dyslexic as a child, um, not the fastest reader, mm. so I never thought of myself becoming a, a writer, but I met my first poem in a beach in Kintai, um under a storm, and um, she came to me, and it was about flying in the imagination's eye, and this connection with this song that is out there, and you somewhat receive it, and it's about something that lies beyond you, maybe an enigma, this connection mm-hmm. with something quite magical through poetry mm-hmm. and through music, is something that has not left me since.
0: Yeah, I, I do feel like um, for a number of writers, uh, poets I've interviewed, and myself as well, sometimes the writing process feels like channeling.
1: Yes, it definitely feels that. Way to me. It does seem like a trance and I think my best poetry comes out of that. Mm. You kind of, of course, working on a poem is really important, drafting it several times and putting that effort and also going to workshops, things like that. But the moment it really, the initial idea comes to me, it's always some sort of trance, a dance. It really, it seems like it comes from somewhere else mm. and you're just channeling it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think probably out of of the many poets I've interviewed so far, yours is one of the most romantic ways to start writing poetry.
1: I guess so, yeah. There (laughs) there was some... I guess I had a a childhood that was uh, full of change Mm. and there was always loss, there was always uh, chaos, Mm. there was always after storm Mm. in in my growing up Mm. and that was definitely channeled through the writing but the writing became a safe haven, Mm -hmm. a place to really connect with something beyond, something even a bit sacred like going into a forest. I never felt really the sense of something beyond so much as I did in, in nature and sometimes through writing as well. Mm. But that doesn't mean that a lot of the chaos of the pain that marked the first years of my life and, and beyond wasn't also fueling that necessity to, to find a haven in that. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that wonderful things that we have as creative people, um, you know, we are able to channel some of our pain and to transmute it while trying to process it ourselves and poetry even when it's talking about incredible personal pain can still be um, beautiful
1: yeah so i think that's what poetry really does for me it transforms my pain into beauty and that's incredibly healing Mm -hmm. healing when you are suffering from excellent and and you manage to channel that into something that's and it can be quite rough, I've, I've written some, so the poem I'm sharing today is perhaps not the type, but I've written some really, really dark stuff, and even as it is, it is that dark, once it's on, on the paper, it is no longer on me, and I can see it, and it doesn't inhabit me anymore, even if it's the darkest thing that I've written, mm-hmm. and in a way even the darkest things can simple Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i think so i think that the way that poetry kind of requires I, i hate to use the word processing because it sounds so it sounds like something to do with machines but the way we transmute it from our pain into something that not only is beautiful for other people to read because we we want to be able to uh relate it to other people but also because it helps others to realize that they're not alone in their pain.
1: Yes, it's actually fantastic when you get to to read something like that. So I participate in some workshops, and this was the British poetry workshop here in in London. Mm -hmm. And I had this participant read a poem, about her being separated as a baby from her mother Mm. and this is an experience i had and it was so incredibly magical in a way and i felt such profound company in her and in that profound understanding of the terrible hurt and beauty of an experience in like that and in a poem like that because the, the experience itself might be just terrible, but in the poem it's transformed into something lighter, into mm. something that may have, have wings that may transcend just pain. And it was really, really wonderful to see that we could share that together. And her poem was as descriptive of my experience as uh, that of her. Mm. Yeah, I think
0: that's, that's one of the... For me, healing aspects of um, poetry as well, to not only be able to write something that other people can relate to, but also to hear others read, almost speaking of my own experiences when I hear similar feelings being expressed. So you find the common humanity when you are in these uh, open mics or workshops, uh, reading spaces.
1: Yes, I kind of feel that As artists, when you really like something that someone has written, be it any form of art, Mm. if you really, really like it, if you really feel connected with it, it's kind of because you have an emotional, deep, deep emotional understanding with that person. And the quality of your feeling is mirrored in the quality of their feeling. You have something quite deep in common. Right. And I find that fantastic to be able to have that connection with other artists.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. At this point, I would love for you to read your poem for us, and then we can talk about it.
1: Great. Right. Let's go back to the fiddle. The pain of the cord, sweet and sour against the skin of the bowl, again past the foothill into the moss of a secret internal forest, to grow mushrooms in hiding. From the pit of my chest, to let frail creatures forage round my throat and be lifted by the compelling rustle of wings flat, to be inwardly crisscrossed by the haste of a starred fox, to be continuously broken and put back together, to ache, skin, raw against the last cord, then sink and rest.
0: Thank you. I love how, um, in your reading, as well as the progression of the poem, also you see you can kind of feel the progression of um, a piece of violin music, maybe maybe a sonata or something like that.
1: Yes, this this particular one was sent it was based on um, on a tune by I don't know if I'm pronouncing the first name, but Hanaki Kassel. She's a violin, violinist. I think she's from the States, but she does uh, do a lot of Celtic music. And mm. uh, this is from a tune that was inspired by a tune by her called uh, "Dot the Dragon's
0: Eye." Mm-hmm. Eyes, I think. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoy um, Celtic or a Celtic-inspired music as well. I'm um, I haven't listened to her in ages, but I don't know if you know Anya.
1: Oh, yes, yes, it did export very well to um, Latin America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we used to listen to that. It became quite famous.
0: Yeah, and I think even recently, some of the music kind of play background to different movies and maybe even shows, TV shows that are probably popular globally. Um, oh, yeah. And you get different feelings from different uh, Celtic inspire or Celtic Genre uh, tunes?
1: Yes, I guess um, for me, uh, going to a school that was English in Latin America, there was always this connection, but also um, the expertise, you know, experts of movie like great Art, for example, really carried uh, the Celtic music uh, to where I was living. And I would listen a lot to Lorena McKinnon, which is actually Canadian. Mm. And I guess I'm one of these individuals who also inhabits these cross worlds of identities and, and, and lives and things. And although I was, you know, a young person living in Chile with no connection whatsoever to Scotland or Ireland, I would still really connect with those things
0: Yeah, I think part of it might be that, I guess <laughs> this might be... Enya's influence on me is that Celtic music seems to draw a lot from nature.
1: Yes, it's like a forest. I, I totally agree. It really carries you into something natural and epic and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And actually, this, this poem came about... So, I was working in the environmental sector, working with a lot of data, a lot of repetitive stuff on the computer one of the things I do to concentrate is listen to music and Celtic music is the best because it's upbeat and keeps you going so it it keeps you fast (laughs) doing the work but at the same time concentrated and calm so sometimes when a particularly striking song would come along these poems would just arise and I would just have to stop what I was doing and note it down um, on paper fast at the side of the desk and, and then drafted properly later Mm and this is how
0: this
1: was born Mm. but a lot of stuff sometimes it comes from out of sheer boredom you know i don't know if you have this experience but sometimes (laughs) it's good to be a bit bored because then you, you get these sparks of energy
0: yeah i think um having downtime and not being so distracted with everything in life give your mind the energy and also the space to kind of go wandering off a little bit and be influenced by some things that we might not pay attention to as much if we happen to preoccupy with other things.
1: Yeah, that's happened to me. Mm.
0: So. I did want to ask you when you wrote this.
1: Oh, I wrote this in last year, I guess, yeah.
0: 2019, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, the tomb that you talked about, it sounds from your poem that this is a slower piece that reaches a crescendo and come down again. I don't know if that is how the, the tune sounds.
1: No, I guess it doesn't reflect the tune perfectly. I was hearing it uh, right before this. Mm. Um, I guess it doesn't really reflect the tune perfectly, but it was still prompted by it. It is not a picture of the It is not trying to really capture necessarily the rhythm Mm. of the tune, but it, it it is myself imagining how it would feel to be a violinist and how it would feel to really carry this type of music, and how terribly beautiful and painful that could be at the same time, and the pain of that extreme beauty. The pain of the music really grabbing hold of you, and then at the end releasing you. Yeah.
0: Speaking of that pain of releasing the beauty, I'm quite familiar with musicians, <laughs> and it's always interesting, especially since you're married to, to a violinist, right? As well, I'm sure you've observed when uh, they're in the midst of playing the emotive quality of their faces. You know, it's not just their hands that move, but rather their entire body and including their facial expressions.
1: Yes, I I totally agree that with violinists. Uh, My husband is not a violinist, he's a singer. Oh. And yeah, so it's not um, necessarily um, thinking about him, but I do write a lot around um, music in general, and I do write some stuff about him singing. But this is, this is not
0: particularly that. He does more like soft rock kind of music. Mm. okay. Going back to the poem itself, there is just a lot of imagery. You start with the skin of the bow, the pain of the cord, sweet and sour, against the skin of the bow, and then you launch into like this trip almost. You know, I think if somebody is listening to you recite this poem, they can close their eyes and almost follow your footsteps into a forest. I was wondering if this is something that's taken out of your childhood experience, this particular picture that you're painting for us of the journey that you go on after listening to the tune. Yes, I guess for me, the space where
1: I'm taking with music takes me is a similar place where I'm taken with poetry and with nature, which is a sense of awe, a sense of something greater than me, a, a sense of my own fragility, and mm. a sense, you know, how fragile it all is and how beautiful and how terrible at the same time. Being human in, in the world and that connection with the enigma beyond. So I guess, yeah, I do feel that in the forest. And and the first time I really found faith was in nature. Mm. Faith in something not necessarily concrete or that I could explain what it is. It's more like the enigma. It's more like the fall.
0: Mm. But
1: I did find that in nature. and, And I do feel that I speak with that, or that that sometimes I wouldn't say that itself, but some aspects of that channel through through writing sometimes in in the sense of the trance, in the sense of you know connecting to something beyond you, and you you cannot always explain why an image follows the other. Mm-hmm. It's not very cerebral for me. Mm-hmm. It's more like something you feel you follow.
0: Mm-hmm. I think your poem shows that in some ways it feels like you are chasing something. Although the thing you're chasing, whatever it might be, is not shown in the poem. But it, it does feel like you're being led into the forest or in, into nature and then observing it and then then coming back out again. It's almost like you've gone into a trance.
1: Yes, I guess so. Um, I haven't seen it like that, but I guess you're right, yeah. And I feel that perhaps there's a sense of peace that I find in these places, mm-hmm. and then there's the chaos of my own mind, or the chaos of my own guilt, my own trauma, mm. across lifetime of that. And I say in nature, and in these perfect places perfect tunes perfect moments i would find a sense of absolute forgiveness mm. and escape my own identity mm and free
0: mm. as you said i mean nature does give you i think anybody who has been into a forest or venture into a forest will know the feeling of uh, a sense of awe a sense of awe, almost Sometimes it can feel overwhelming because it's, there are so many things going around. There are so many stimuli that sometimes it's hard to grasp when you're in there. At least me, when I, when I encounter a lot of stimuli, my mind is almost like um go into a, a little bit of a shock. <laughs> Um, And so I I can certainly understand why you would have found faith because really nature does show us either by her uh, ferocity in storms and and such or by her calm uh, or sense of calm when you go into a forest shows us that there is something much greater than ourselves and that we're just a small part of it.
1: Yes, and it's that sense of absolutely present so i guess it's that shock of the senses but at the same time that silencing of the mind openness to the senses that brings you exactly to the present moment when you are like that in quite peaceful state to be in yeah
0: i mean in a way we kind of have to be right because even though Again, going back to the imagery of the forest, even though being inside a forest can feel, has a very calming feeling to it, at the same time, it's almost the equivalent of standing in the middle of a traffic circle because there is just so much going on around us. And if we don't pull ourselves into the now, we can't really figure out what to what we should be observing how we should prioritize our senses
1: yes i guess i guess it depends on the type of forest as well and um, there are you know if you think of a rainforest i think in your mind you have this rainforest lush and so full of so many things in it and also some things that might eat you so you have to be kind of alert there's other forests there's even um, you know nowadays I'm not a fan at all of monocultives because I know how harming they are for for nature mm-hmm. but as a child I did spend time in eucalytus and pine forests and I found great people, even if they were human planted and not a great thing yeah when I was...
0: Thinking of forest, I was thinking uh, going into the redwoods, even though it's more on the edge of it, but still the sense of creatures, big and small, uh, things happening beyond my immediate comprehension. So that if I do not pay attention to it, if I don't pull myself into the now, if I let my mind just wander aimlessly, I might miss something. Because again, even in the monoculture, like a pine forest, because nature is so amazing, (laughs) there would still be undergrowth. It becomes its own ecosystem.
1: Yeah. This connection with nature has become so much more of a crucial thing now where we are seeing it be increasingly become a thing of the past. A
0: -hmm. thing of
1: the past to really have these environments that are untouched, continuous degrading of these places that we used to know and in just one generation they are just completely disappearing on our backside at a velocity that is just overwhelming.
0: Yeah I, I don't think when we started doing that we realized the consequences of that because the way we have as a species sort of view ourselves in terms of our relation to the rest of nature i think has been an incredibly unhealthy one especially in the dominant cultures because it's one of religious using there's no balance to the relationship and we have looked at nature as something that services us rather than something that we have to uh, live with in harmony
1: absolutely and that's at the root of our culture that sense of man over nature and over women as well it's it's in the genesis and it, it does really capture the spirit of the relationship with nature that we've had over the last you know centuries and this is something that wasn't present in, in indigenous they had another vision of nature, as Mother Earth, Pachamama, for example, in, in Latin America. Mm. is a huge bit of the spirituality of people, and it still is for, for many people. And that's a really different concept. It's the concept of humans within nature as part of nature, not as a separate, and not as a dominant.
0: I was um, watching some documentaries about indigenous cultures. We have this idea of indigenous cultures always living in harmony with nature. In this particular documentary, I I remember watching that uh, it, it kind of depended on which indigenous cultures and that if it had been an indigenous culture that had an empire for instance that had a more sedentary lifestyle like uh, the aztecs or the incans um, that there was also archaeological evidence of uh, environmental degradation and because of this environmental degradation some of the parts of the empires indigenous empires had to move because of climate change that they experienced during their lifetime.
1: Yes, there's a big trouble in romanticism around the Indigenous of the good steward. But I think we also have to acknowledge that Indigenous communities alive nowadays are much better stewards than the corporations and the governments that are mostly you know, ransacking the environment in which these communities live in conjunction with the environment, rather than in control of the environment. So I guess there's the historical aspect of not thinking that all past civilizations were better and not all past civilizations were better for, for our stories. But there's also the recognition of those communities that are alive nowadays and that are much better stories, and they have a right to their land and have a right to be protected and that the protection of those communities is in the interest of humanity as they are much better source of the environment in which they live in.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm talking especially about communities in Brazil and
1: in Bolivia and in the whole of South America, which have been um, their land has been taken away
0: systematically uh, mm. from them.
1: Yeah, um, with, with the atrocious consequences for the environment.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know about the, the ones in Brazil, definitely, especially with uh, Bolsonaro now as uh, president now, and um, yeah. but also other parts of Latin America just. Part of it because of silver mining and there's uh, uh, and gold mining, I think, as well, uh, and that feeds into the electronic industry and the poisoning of uh, water sources because of the mercury that's being used. I really appreciate you talking about, especially since you work in environmental care, that we have to separate the idealized version of an Indigenous people's relationship with nature and the current Indigenous, um, well, m- many of the Indigenous nations left what their relationship with nature is. And I think um, it's very important going forward as more and more people recognize Indigenous rights that we do not turn them into some kind of a stereotype, like a positive stereotype, but still a stereotype.
1: Absolutely. Yes, And also not bundle them all together. Of course there's many, many different identities and also it's important to be mindful of these issues but also I don't pretend to speak for any of these Since your
0: poem is about violin music, it made me think of one of the pieces that I wrote, uh, which is also based off of a piece of violin music. It's called uh, Song One. So I'm going to read that now and we can talk about it. In plaintive voice, he spoke to me. In solitude, the supplications came, quivering in the darkness, gargantuan his demons spread from the shadows. Refusing redress, inking the space with notes quartered by quarters, for sighing his regrets, the love professed staccato breaking into the past, flow in a minor scale melody under the agile fingers and the patient bow, long drawn and wobbling, imitating life's wavering. I Thank you, I really appreciate
1: that. I think both of our poems have so much in common in, in that. They are going through this journey of music, and I think in, in your poem in particular, you can really feel that music like really flowing through it, mm-hmm. those um, continuous s sounds of the beginning and the rhythm of it. But the rhythm kind of changes a little bit at the end, the long drum wobbling, imitating life's wavering. I think both poems somewhat mirror music. They are inspired in, and I find that with your poem, I can almost hear the music.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's one of the differences between your piece and my piece because my piece is more like a mirror to the melody itself even though both of our poems are inspired by a piece of music and a piece of violin music, to be specific. Mine, especially at the beginning of the poem, is much more descriptive of the piece of music itself. And then later on, as the poem progresses, it talks more about my interpretation of the music, like the feelings I'm hearing, or the feelings that the music is invoking in me, the imagery that it's invoking in my mind.
1: Yes, and that comes back to what we were talking before about artists and how we can communicate with each other, because listening to music is kind of an invitation of constructing something new together, because it takes you through a journey, the music will take you through a journey, but you will have to fill in the gaps you will have to input your own emotional landscape into the music and that's exactly what you're doing here so you kind of create something new together with with the musician yeah there is something i'm sure that comes from the music but there's something ominous and sticky in it in this but at the same time inescapable
0: yeah just like poems right the consumer of a piece of art is bringing their own perspective into the appreciation of that piece of art and by doing so that piece of art take on a life of its own and it's not it's no longer just uh, the intention of the composer well in this case it's uh, more indirect right because many violinists do not compose and so they interpret uh, whereas poets Compose So the consumption of music is removed one step further from the artists who composed it. So it's, I think it is really interesting as poets to look at uh, another form of art and to write our own pieces from another piece of art.
1: Yes, and I think it seems to be this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I see art is, and this is about many art, but it's, I think it's, it has to do with a radical form of honesty. Mm. And once you go deep inside yourself and what you really feel about things and what your real wound is and that terrible beauty about being human, once you really know yourself, you kind of find each other, find other people in the sense that you can connect to their sense of and their experience of it and finding in that our common humanity and i think that is what happens when when you open yourself to, to speak artistically with other genres and other forms of art and really meet in between but, but the only reason we can do that is because we have so much in common
0: mm. yeah yeah and i think the the overlap of what we share in common help us to relate to each other and the parts that of us that do not overlap help us to create more uh, individual pieces.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But I guess I think very good art is never fully lonely. And it might find, perhaps if it won't speak to everybody, but it might speak to someone out there. And I think that there's something really special when you can speak to at least one person out there. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I I think so as well. I think for poets and for composers as well, I mean, even violinists, the act of practicing our art can be a very lonely experience, right? So... Finding an audience also means finding somebody whose feelings re- reverberate with our own. Even if that's not a, a complete overlap, it's still our way of being able to relate to each other uh, on some level in a moment in time.
1: Yes, and the possibility of improving. I wrote for myself for years. And I spent 20 years writing poetry and not publishing anything, mm. um, and I never imagined that um, a lot of people would be interested in it. Mm. But as soon as I decide to open up and share with others, it's not only that that is a marvelous experience and you find so much that you can share, but it's also that your writing can improve dramatically when you expose it. To different
0: audiences and particularly feedback from workshops. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's one of the things that I really miss before the shutdown happened. I mean, there are still workshops, but there are less, I find, than there were before. Uh, there are still many opportunities for readings. There are still many open mics. Uh, again, less than before, but in relations to workshops, workshops uh, seem a lot less than
1: uh,
0: prior to the to the shutdown.
1: Yes, I don't know why that is, but I have found, found this gap as well, and I've made sure that um, I've really pushed for my workshop, the main one I participate in, in London, the Greenwich one. I've made sure to push it through um, online and there was some resistance at the beginning, some members were necessary, super internet savvy, mm-hmm. but we've managed to to continue and that has been great. And apart from that, with uh, my poet friend, Ana Maria Reyes here in, in England, we've done a similar workshop in Spanish called Poesia Pandemica. Mm-hmm. And we've invited people from around the world to join and we've been joining in for two hours every Monday in the afternoon and it has been a lifesaver these two workshops have really been very important for me through through lockdown having that sense of, of community still there and, and having that detailed feedback.
0: Mm-hmm. I really wish I have been as, as lucky to have something steady but I'm trying to find more now because I I think it's good to have that feedback, and good to be able to discuss one's work with others, like-minded people, to just see how. Maybe it... you
1: should. Sorry. Maybe you should join the English
0: one. Oh yeah, I would love to. Um, yeah, we can we can talk about that uh, though, <laughs> like offline afterwards. I I actually would love to find out more information about it. Um, because i've been complaining to friends that i haven't been able to find many so one of the things i was thinking was to start one but i just really don't have the time so yeah let's let's talk about that after this in terms of what you observed uh, of my poem i think you're right that i mean partly is the is the piece itself this particular poem was uh, the title is actually the title of the of music that uh, this poem was inspired by and it is called song one it's actually a violin suite written by john harbison song one is the first of uh, his suite four songs of solitude when this was played about a year ago when i wrote this poem the violinist who played it introduced it as i think this was written for John Carbison's wife. I mean, don't quote me on it because it's been a year and a half. So it was really interesting for me to hear the piece of music song one and hear the way that this piece of love music kind of unfolded. And to me, it has a bit of... Um, I invoked this idea of having some shadows in it some sense of inner demons in it because that's what I heard from the notes because it's uh, as I wrote in the poem is a mi- minor scale melody. I don't know if you're you're familiar with musicals. Yes. Okay. I don't I don't know if you hear if the first two lines of the poem remind you of a musical. Oh, that, no, I don't have that type of in-depth knowledge. Maybe I know some titles, and I've been to some. Ah, okay. So, to me, after I wrote it, even though these are not the same words as the musical, it, it reminded me of Phantom of the Opera. Like, there, there is a particular piece of music that the female protagonist sings And it kind of starts out similar. The lines are similar to the first lines of my poem. You know, in plaintive voice, he spoke to me. In solitude, the supplications came. The rhythm of it is pretty much the same, uh, but the words are slightly different. (laughs) When I wrote this poem, I was actually wondering if I was, like, unconsciously plagiarizing. Oh, no,
1: that's... Just called influence, you're fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was really uh, interesting to notice, and I mean that's why part of the reason why I do the podcast, is the influences that we're both consciously and unconsciously incorporating into our poetry.
1: Absolutely. Whatever we create is somewhat reconstruction of what we've heard, what we've tasted, what we've read. I studied philosophy, for example, and um, I used to be a teacher assistant for Hegel's logic course, and if you know philosophy and you know Hegel, you'll know that it's extremely poetic (coughs) because it's extremely um, obscure but beautiful at the same time, and a lot of that comes through sometimes in ways that I don't expect or come up with this word or other, which I think is common, but it isn't really in normal speech and it comes from from these experiences, these readings, it is impossible to start something completely anymore. Mm. I think it is important to acknowledge these influences once we realize it, but that is how art is created. It is always an entanglement of, of what was there before. We can't pretend to be completely original. It will never be.
0: Right, right, yeah. There's always some kind of link to the past, to our past. And I, I think both of our poems show that, as you noted before, because both of us, even just in the text of our poems themselves, Talk both about the observations we make. You know, mine's more about the music, yours is more about this sort of journey that that the music made you go on. The observation of the forest, like the mushrooms growing and the, the star fox running. Yet, uh, there's also that internal infle- a reflection of how that made you feel and how minds also how the music may, may feel in terms of the descriptors that I use. Going back to your poem a little bit, was it a conscious choice? The way that you organize your poem where you are talking about creatures or vegetation that you would find in, in a forest, but set them into your body, like uh, to grow mushrooms and hiding from the pit of my chest. let frail creatures forage around my throat
1: yes because it the music transforms you to this secret internal forest so it's as if you're inhabited by this music and this music transforms you internally emotionally in different ways and it is some it is so compelling and it's so rupturing and exciting and it it has its climax and then it releases to you it, it is something it's an internal journey which is carried through the music and it, and in that sense that's kind of the difference between your one and, and you highlighted this before as if you're describing the journey of the music I am describing the sensation of the music through, through my body and mm-hmm. I'm imagining that I am the violinist that I can use these, these notes, the thing that I, you know, I don't play any instruments, I wish I did but mm. it is as if the violinist is the one speaking here, and this is what the music creates through that body, which is what it creates in my body, and I would imagine that the violinist goes through a similar emotional journey, maybe that's just me thinking about it, mm. but I, what I think, one clarity that I really like Of our two poems is this there is this pleasure, but at the same time, there is all of this pain and this darkness, and the demons and suffocations, and solitude. And this, all of this is quite appealing, but it's quite terrible at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think extreme artistic experiences are like this. Our beauty in its extreme is. It is painful for us, but in a good way. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel that your those who through the journey, and then also releases it and starts it. It goes beyond the music itself into you know how this connects with life, yeah. which I think is something I don't, and I think that's quite interesting talk about the music but also music in in a way imitates life
0: yeah yeah as I think both of us noted before is that you know our work comes from our experiences no matter how obscure we might make that connection the fact is without our experiences we wouldn't be able to produce the work that we produce so it's, it's not a surprise at all and it makes a lot of sense that musicians, even if they are writing in another language, uh, which to me music is just another language, it is still speaking about their experiences. Yes,
1: and how to find some connection there. I have sent my poem to the musician in her website. We'll see if I don't answer. I didn't actually request an answer. I was like, here's the poem, and <laughs> will be. Yeah. So have you sent your poem to the musician?
0: I did tell him about it, and I thought I would see him at another event where I would show him the poem, but that didn't happen. And now there's a quarantine, so. Uh, but I think when our episode does come out, I will tag the person. I, I will... I might email him again and just say, well, this is the poem that I wrote based on the sonata that you played. Once that happens, it will be very interesting to hear what he has to say about it. I also do plan to send it to the composer as well. Let's see what happens then, because uh, I don't know if the composer will answer because this is a a rather uh, well-known composer. So I'm sure he receives many unsolicited. Pieces of email, so.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, I've got another poem in Spanish. I love Florence. I absolutely adore Florence. So I've got another one in Spanish about her, and I'm dying to send it, but I'm sure it will be dismissed as many fan mail. I'm sure it, does, it doesn't ever get to the person that is meant to. you know? <laughs> That people
0: are too famous to reach. Yeah, yeah, you never know, right? Because sometimes they're really, really busy, and sometimes uh, because they receive so much mail, our mail may just get into spam, and they might never look at it, and they might never see it. It's not so much that they might not react to what we're writing them, but they might just never have seen what we wrote to them. So. It'll be interesting if somebody do write back because there's this one of a number of poems that I have written that's been inspired by works of uh, others, not just art, other artists, but also journalists and public figures as well. So I don't know. It, it, it isn't always interesting when you send that to people because I, I have another piece, uh, a poem that I had uh, an article inspired me to write. I, I actually did get in touch with the person who wrote the article, and I, she told me to send her my poem. And I asked her what she thought. I she must have not liked it because she never wrote me back. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you never
1: write a poem.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you never know. So silence, I'll let silence be silence and, and not try not to th- overthink it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't really matter, does it? Because, you know, you're still happy to have enjoyed that uh, piece of music and, and still had a conversation with the music, even if not with the actual author. And that's the magic of art. Once it's out there. You know the artist doesn't own it anymore, and, and it's the experience of the listener as much as they, of them. Yeah, and that's, there's something so
0: wonderful about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Our our art definitely take on a life of their own, and um, and you know the interaction makes it incredibly unique. When you're sending it to people, obviously you always hope that that will be a conversation starter, and Not necessarily that people agree with you, but that at least it invokes conversation. And I think it's the conversation that's more interesting than necessarily having to agree with each other on everything, because it's the exchange of ideas bring about new work and bring about new possibilities. Um, So that, at least to me, is is really uh, important and, uh, again, why I'm doing this as well, because Again, it's about, it's about conversing, it's about relating to each other and just uh, seeing what other people think uh, about the same pieces of work. So um, it, it's an interesting like mental exploration in that way. Yeah. I uh, really, really appreciate um, the time you took to speak with me today. Um, just to conclude, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about, like, um, maybe you can tell us about that workshop in particular, since it sounds like something that you really hold dear. I, I don't know if you want to share it with us. Uh, and then also how we, the audience, might follow you on social media and or your website. Yeah,
1: so at the moment, I participate in, in a group called Poesia Pandemica this mm-hmm. Is a group of uh, people that uh, speak Spanish, and we are workshopping every Monday. We have been doing this since the start of the pandemic. It's called uh, Pandemic Poetry, Mm -hmm. and it's a community of, of writers coming together to read poetry, to investigate different themes and also um, to, to share that. That is a, a group that is in Spanish but we also have a lot of people that speak Spanish as a second language which is great um, and that it can has a Facebook page so it is something that you just search for um, Poesia Pandemica mm-hmm. and it's just um, that is just pandemic poetry translated into spanish Mm. and you just search on that on facebook and you find it and that's a really nice thing and i also participate in a workshop which is called um, a green workshop it's more of a closed group but Mm. it does accept new participants you would have to email uh, but the best way of trying to get into that workshop which is thursdays from 7 to 9 Mm. every Thursday from 79 uh, UK time mm. with be to get in contact with me and Great. because that one you have to apply to. And then um, if you want to find me, you can find me on my Instagram, that's Javiera Ringeling um, on Instagram and I will be uh, publishing more information about books coming out um, and events and things like that, workshops I'm doing.
0: Cool, wonderful. Thank you very much again for your time. I, I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful chatting together.
1: Yes, it has been really great. I'm really enjoying your podcast, so I really recommend people to look at many episodes. They're, they're absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you.
0: You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.